The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, Episode 17, Veiled Laughter. story of Jack's temporary defeat of death, Isabel's version of Tam Lin affected Jack deeply. Those tales were definitely music that made his heart sing. Though the melodies were deeply resonant, they were not always happy. They left him feeling unstrung and hollowed out, but maybe sometimes it was all right to feel like that. In any case, he liked to be left with his thoughts after their stories, preferring to reach out to Lucas and Isabel a day or two later. Mara, though, was hard to say no to, and, as Lucas said, he was aptly placed to discover what she was deliberately hiding. Time to put up a level 12 wall of havering, as Isabel might have called it if she were a gamer. Bedazzling with bull was closer to the mark, and Jack was something of a master. No word of a lie, not any of it. Struck a nerve, Jack asked innocently. What do you mean? It was a good story. I've always had a soft spot for Tam Lin, but never quite believed the happily ever after shtick. Accepting the gifts of the fair folk always comes with strings, and refusals come with chains, as my great-uncle Diar used to say, though Tam Lin wasn't given much choice in the matter. That's an odd name, Mara replied. Tam, it's Thomas. Thomas of the Wood, in this case, probably. No, I mean the other one, Mara responded. Jar. Oh, you mean Diarmud. Irish name, though the family isn't strictly so. Kind of like Jerry or Jeremy. He was what some would call a gypsy, but that's not right either. He was a traveler. Told me countless stories when I was a boy. Never married as far as we know, though his sister Mary swore that if he made it to heaven he paved his way there with broken hearts, his guardian angels into the bargain. Sounds like quite a character. When did he die? We don't know that he did. You're a lot of interesting things, Jack. Are you telling me that programming makes you immortal? I was born further away from yesterday than you, I think, Mara countered with a smiley face. No, I mean reports came from round about that one night he set his wagon on the path laid down by a moonbeam and headed for the horizon. His horse and caravan were never found, nor any of his few belongings, vanished betwixt and between the veil without a trace. We drink a toast to him every year on Halloween. November 1st was his real birthday, but he used to say that was only because he could never show up on time to a party. Where is this veil? Mari used the poetic word for valley, thinking Jack referred to some geographic landmark. She was excited. If this place could be found, she might be able to use it to get back home to her own time and place. Veil? No. 
Veil, V-E-I-L, like covering, Jack explained. In some cultures, only a thin barrier separates the world we know from the unknown, from the realm of the fairies or other supernatural beings. At certain times of the day, like twilight or key periods in history, or through the actions or abilities of particular people, the veil seems thinner and you can enter other worlds. Mara could barely contain her excitement. She didn't give a fig for history. Mortals just ceaselessly repeated themselves anyway, so unimaginative. She really had no idea whether this was a powerful historical moment or not. But if she could find a way through using a person or by manipulating time, of course, someone might die or lots of people might for that matter, or she might leave a jagged hole in the fabric of the world. But what was the point of living without a little risk? Especially if it was to other people. I must be going, Jack, but thank you. I'd like to chat again sometime. Sure, Mara. And this was a great idea, our story group. It gives a focus to my weeks. I know what day it is when we meet, for one thing. Thanks again for suggesting it. You're welcome, Mara said. She signed off. Jack logged off and looked at his phone for a long time. Then he got an idea. He signed on to the app and opted to take a solitary walk along Isabel's shore. Lucas had found a box there, after all. He let the app describe his surroundings. He was following a cliff path above the strand of the beach. There were worn wagon tracks that the sand and wind did not seem able to erase. Looking for a place to tell your next story? Moot asked after a while. Nope, just looking, Jack said. Just off the path over the next rise, you come to an abandoned caravan. The beautiful painted designs are weathered, but it looks well built. Jack held his breath and sent a command to go inside and look around. Are you trespassing? Moot disapproved. I know the owner. He won't mind. On a shelf you find a plain wooden box, handmade. I take the box and add it to my inventory. Stealing and trespassing, Moot accused. Like I said, I know the owner. If I find him, he'll want this. In the meantime, I need it, Jack replied. There are other objects nearby that could be described as more valuable. Don't you want to know what's in it, Moot persisted. It's plain and empty, and I want it just like that, Jack finished, giving a respectful sign-off. Back in his flat, he poured a toast to Uncle Jar. He didn't usually drink alone, but he was pleased with his find. Plain and empty, but to Jack it could be a step toward everything he wanted. Thank you, Uncle, and here's to you in case we all get lost and don't see another All Hallows' Eve, old man. Jack smiled and raised his glass to the fading light. He shed a tear. Did Isabel's story strike a nerve? Oh, yes. Isabel's tale struck a different chord with Lucas, and his own tale was soon chosen. The following week, he signed on early and described a tent with a golden top. A rich banquet was laid on within. 
Each guest had a divan, and there were rugs on the floor and tapestries hung on the walls, so lustrous that when sun or starlight shone on the tent, it was as if they were in a hall of stained glass. Ivan bids you welcome, Lucas began. This is a story about looking for trouble, or at least not running in the opposite direction when it comes your way. Because by running from trouble, either it will see where you go and chase you, or you will lose your way and crash headlong into it. The audience laughed and made themselves comfortable. Once there was a king who had a talented archer, and the archer had a fine horse wiser than its master. One day the archer had been out hunting with his beloved steed when he spied the golden feather of the firebird on the forest floor. If I take that to the king, honor and reward will surely be mine, the archer exclaimed, reaching to retrieve the beautiful feather. No, master, the horse cried. Leave the feather where it is or harder tasks will follow. The archer paid no heed and took up the feather, presenting it to the king at the first opportunity. That's lovely, my boy, but I'm not some silly maid looking to adorn myself. What would I want with just a feather? Bring me the firebird, and if you fail, I'll have your head instead. The archer was beside himself. Oh, my steed, why did I not take your wisdom to heart? Now he wants the firebird or my head. If you think this is difficult, young master, much worse is yet to come. Tell the king you want a hundred bags of corn mixed with one bag of gold to be strewn on the fields tonight. In the morning, see what wonder comes to dine. The archer had the field sown with corn and gold, and in the morning there was a mighty whirlwind that blew away the dawn clouds, and the firebird lit and began to pick the gold out of the corn. It nodded at the archer, shed golden feathers like sparks, and flew away. The feathers knit themselves into a copy of the firebird, like a paper toy, still beautiful but fragile. This bird ate the corn and seemed to gain in strength and solidity. The archer carried it tamely on his wrist back to the king. The king was delighted. You've brought me the firebird. Now you can go to the end of the earth and bring me back the princess Vasilisa, for I wish to marry her. Fail and it will be your head. The archer bemoaned his fate, and again the horse comforted its master, or tried to, promising that this was an easy task, and worse awaited the archer once he had fulfilled the king's request. You are hardly inspiring my confidence, the archer lamented, but listened carefully as the horse explained their preparations and the path that they would have to take. Tell the king you want a tent with a golden top and all kinds of fine food and wines so that you can receive the princess in style when we find her. The archer made these demands to the king with all respect. The king wanted to be generous to his new bride and so no expense was spared. The archer and his mount traveled to the farthest reaches of the known world. They pitched the beautiful tent on the shore of the sapphire sea at the end of the earth and laid out the banquet and waited. Princess Vasilisa was traveling in a silver boat with golden oars that rowed by themselves. When she spied the tent, she commanded the boat to moor itself and the archer received her with all honor. He invited her to eat and drink 
and as he entertained her, he confessed his own love for her, and told her of his errand. What manner of man is this king? she asked. He is one who, if given a fine feather, desires the entire bird caged to be his forever, the archer said, truthfully, sadness ringing in his gentle voice. We shall take my boat back to your king, the princess replied. It is faster even than your steed, and I like your head right where it is. It shows off your broad shoulders admirably. We mustn't let anything happen to it, so we mustn't keep the king waiting. But, princess, I don't think your boat is big enough for my horse as well, the archer protested, and I have never been parted from my faithful beast. He looked around, but his horse was gone. In its place was the princess's maidservant. She was pretty, but somehow familiar. She had beautiful and elaborately braided hair, large liquid eyes, and, it must be said, a fine but rather long face. Jack groaned softly. Isabel gasped in shocked laughter, and Mara shook her head, smiling in spite of herself. Ivan winks at the audience and invites them to partake further of his hospitality as he concludes tonight's story. Now, when the party arrived at the palace, the princess dressed her maid in her finest clothes and covered her face with a brocade veil. Vasilisa herself dressed simply as a servant. The princess was presented to the king, who was delighted with his bride and the gold and silver ship. When he went to lift her veil and kiss her, she wailed piteously and turned away. Such a noise I haven't heard even from my own stables, the king cried. But he did whatever he could to placate his beloved. The princess took great delight over several days, sending the king on countless silly errands and throwing tantrums whenever he failed in his quests, much to the general amusement of the archer, Vasilisa, and the rest of the servants. The king was a capricious overlord, and the court found his transformation into a besotted lover very entertaining. One day, the king said that he would do only one more thing for his bride, after which time he expected the wedding to go ahead without delay. The princess said demurely, Have your archer bathe in scalding water. The archer was terrified, but the king was delighted by this plan. He summoned a great cauldron be brought and filled with water and a fire built up beneath it. The princess said to the archer, You may have heard, young master, that there are hard tasks and easy in this life, but no matter how hard you think things are, worse is yet to come. His faithful horse wanted the lesson of the firebird feather to burn in his master's memory. The archer paled. Don't worry, Vasilisa whispered. All is not what it seems. The archer was brought to the cauldron and prepared for his bath, much to his profound embarrassment. He was much more handsome than the king, Vasilisa decided. Just as he was about to be thrown into the boiling water, the true firebird shot out of the sky and nestled around the flames, heating the cauldron, protecting the water from getting too hot. The archer bathed, and when he came out, he was more handsome than ever. Servants dressed him in princely robes. The firebird slipped out of sight again, transforming into the candle flames, lighting the banqueting tables. 
the king stripped off and decided to bathe for he would surely be more handsome than his archer when he was done the papery firebird floated down to the flames around the cauldron and was consumed the corn inside it popping like fireworks drowning out the king's agonized death shrieks the real princess vasilisa turned her maid back into the archer's steed and together they called to the firebird who gathered itself back from the candles on the tables they rowed to the shore and the princess and the archer got into the boat the horse transformed into a many-winged steed such as water dragons keep and the horse and the firebird flew on together ahead of the lovers to the end of the earth where the beautiful tent with the golden top was there as they had left it the firebird circled three times and a magnificent palace with golden minarets rose up and the archer and the princess ruled there in happiness to the end of their days. Everyone applauded as Lucas pressed the hot key. Eight of clubs. Back to Isabel. After everyone signed off, Mara asked Moot, Do you control the Decameron? It is random. Each of you tells thirteen times. But this was my idea. I should be chosen again. Those who exhaust their chances early have few or none later. In life as in hockey, a shutout today, a hat trick tomorrow, Moot replied. Mara was content with Moot's answer. Three times in a row, a hat trick would serve her well. She signed off. Only if you can keep the tricks under your hat as they are played, Moot said to itself. Then it laughed thinking of a disguised princess with a long face. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.